Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hello, I'm Liz Loza and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast presented by Planters, satisfying your snack cravings for over 100 years Do you know what satisfied me today? The fact that there was football. All of it, the good, the bad, the uh, Philip Rivers of it, all of it. We are going to talk about Indianapolis. Matt, what satisfied you this fine Sunday? You know, I think what was most satisfying, and it makes sense in a year where everything has been so confusing and so weird, that the Chargers won a game on some end-of-game kicker bullshit. You know, like they actually came out on the right side there of some kicker mayhem at the end of the game. I think that was pretty satisfying to see, even though the Chargers were gross, sloppy, pretty tough to watch today. It was kind of nice for, you know, that franchise, I guess, and all 10 of their fans to be redeemed in that way. Further proof that we may indeed be living in the upside down. But because you brought up Philip Rivers and oh, I brought up Philip Rivers, we both did, and uh, Indianapolis certainly was wonky. Let's talk about that because interestingly enough, the most or one of the most fantasy relevant matchups was the Colts at Jags. I don't think yeah. I, I, either of us saw that coming, but uh, indeed it is because Naheem Hines was the first player to score this Sunday. (laughs) And also, if that weren't tilting enough for the Colts' backfield, Marlon Mack was carted off the field with which looks to be a torn Achilles, so he's likely done for the year. Yeah, huge bummer for Mack, especially juicy matchup uh, today and really had an opportunity to, you know, continue to hold on to this backfield because it looked like right off the bat that, that, you know, he was going to be the early down guy, the primary rusher ahead of Jonathan Taylor, despite the fact that fantasy Twitter took a collective giggle at that headline from earlier this week. But I mean... Almost no matter what, Naheem Hines is the big story from this one. We talked about it on our FFL halftime show. You know, there was always a role for this guy. You know, neither one of us was going to tell many people to start him. Neither one of us was going to project him to be the first touchdown scorer of the year. But today definitely confirmed that there was a legit role for this guy and that makes a lot of sense given Philip Rivers history of propping up receiving backs like Austin Eckler or Darren Sproles whatever but that looks to be cemented he also looked really good on the ground too so that's something to consider if you're boosting up Jonathan Taylor in light of the Mac injury but my big takeaway from the Colts was just kind of I mean just gross overall like I don't know if I don't know where you were on the Colts and like the whole Philip Rivers experiment coming into this year, but you know, I saw some people like picking them to go to the playoffs. Some people even picking them to to go deep into the playoffs. Uh, and I get they have a nice infrastructure, but I, Rivers just ain't it, man. You know, like that, that's kind of where I'm at with this guy at this point. And, and week one was definitely. You know, if that was your opinion, like it was for me, I think week one was a lot of confirmation bias of that. A lot of dump offs to the running backs. You know, Jonathan Taylor also caught six passes too. So I just don't really see this being a very exciting offense or very exciting fantasy environment this year. I agree with a lot of what you said. Just want to point out, though, that Jonathan Taylor didn't just catch six passes, but he caught six of six. And the knock against him, obviously, coming out of college, out of Wisconsin, was that he didn't catch many passes and he wasn't going to be used in the passing game. And that was Naheem Hines' role when, in fact, yes, Jonathan Taylor uh, managed two more rushing attempts than Naheem Hines but also was not nearly as efficient. He averaged 2.4 yards per carry. Hines, on the other hand, uh, a solid four behind that offensive line. Hines, by the way, 
rostered in just 15% of Yahoo leagues right now. The other piece of this Colts offense that I do think has the potential for something exciting, and it is not what I foresaw, so I'll own that immediately. Props to Andy Barons for having the uh, crystal ball right on this one. But the Paris Campbell-Philip Rivers connection does seem a little bit intriguing. If I told you heading into this matchup that Campbell and Hilton would be tied for first in team targets, I don't think you would have believed me. <laughs> no, probably not. And I mean, it also, though, makes sense to the whole is Philip Rivers washed narrative. Can he really push the ball down the field? And I mean, that was something when watching Mike Williams last year, you consistently just saw this saw, saw this guy getting thrown into contested situations. And, you know, that made me wonder, like, is as much as we like Michael Pittman, Michael Pittman right now is more of a big downfield threat, you know, big contested yeah. catch guy, which again, you know, Rivers has made a lot of music with those guys throughout his career. But at this point where he is, he might just be that pop gun arm guy, which is going to feed a slot receiver like Campbell feed these pass catching running backs. So I guess this is something where, you know, we could see a very different looking Colts, next week but this was a cake matchup that they really should have taken advantage of like this offense should have really rolled um and i just really didn't see that at all this this week quickly i want to touch on the jaguars because they did upset to your point the colts here um not only did dj chark show out as we expected he would i mean he didn't have that many looks but he did find the end zone so we caught all three of his targets for 25 again I'll take the touchdown, but I also wanted to give props to a player that you have been quietly hyping over the offseason, and that's rookie LaVishka Chenault. Yeah, and I mean, exactly what I thought we'd see with LaVishka Chenault, it came to fruition because this passing offense focused on two things. It focused on short throws and getting the ball out of Minshew's hands quick. 2.34 seconds time to throw uh, and under 5.0 yards, uh, intended air yards on his pass attempts. Again, short Quick passing. That's perfect for a guy like LaVisca Chenault that you want to get the ball in his hands and let him create after the catch. Uh, we saw him get a little bit more downfield on his touchdown catch, sure. But the point being here, like I think there's opportunity for this passing offense to maybe be a little bit better than people are expecting. I mean, Gardner Minshew, over 90% of his passes were completed today. As of this taping, he still owns the highest next-gen stats completion percentage over expectation. He was really good uh, in, in this spot. And like if this offense continues to be put in situations where they can run on their script, which again, I think is sneakily a good fit between Jay Gruden and Gardner Minshew. Yeah. This could be a very value passing offense all the way around, not just for DJ Chark, who was drafted high, who I think pretty much everybody likes, but for guys like Chenault. And then, I mean, even Keelan Cole, Hey, it's week two against the Patriots all over again. That guy gets in the end zone. Uh. I mean, like we could we could be seeing some decent value here in this passing offense. I'm not ready to put it in pen, but it's something I at least wouldn't rule out yet. The running back, the rookie running back, undrafted free agent out of Illinois State that we talked about a lot on Fantasy Football Live. Um, he actually managed 90 total yards, 16 rushes for 62 yards. So not like horribly efficient, but he did catch one ball for just under 30 yards. And I was additionally excited about that. Like, I think he might have done enough and might continue to do enough. Whereas, you know, Chris Thompson was barely, barely available. He had two targets, yeah. right, or two catches. So I think um, James Robinson might have done just enough to cement his role as the RB1 in this offense. And like you're saying, this offense might be better than we think. So we might have opportunity for game script that benefits Robinson in a way that we may not have projected that previously. Yeah, no other running back saw a rush attempt. I mean, LaVisca Chenault had a couple uh, rush attempts, yeah. which I do think is part of his profile as well. You can get him some design touches that way. Minshew had some scrambles. But yeah, no other running back ran the ball. And I mean, obviously, they don't have a lot of running backs available to run the ball. But that was, I think, a good sign for James Robinson. And I totally agree with all of your analysis there. Oh, well, thank you. Um, let's talk about <laughs> Green Bay at Minnesota because, you know, Aaron Rodgers was – a divisive player, surprisingly, heading into the season. Uh, some people thought, well, he's washed. Other people thought he just had bad luck. 
near the end zone, along with Devontae Adams last year. You know, other people thought, like, the franchise and stuff. There was a lot of Aaron Rodgers dis- discussion. And Minnesota obviously had really tried to turn over that secondary, a lot of their defense, right? But the secondary was definitely a problem that they identified last season and moved to change. And yet... Wasn't a problem for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, got Devontae Adams involved early. And then, interestingly, Lazard w- found the end zone. So all of the Lizard King truthers were excited by that. But then MVS <laughs> also scored. But the like caveat of that is that M- MVS also blew a touchdown. So yeah, I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. no. Is he going to get yeah. faded by Rodgers because of that? Or is he going to be favored by Rodgers because of the score? Yeah, I mean, Rodgers threw up the middle fingers at the EPA, the completion percentage over expectation, all the like nerd stats that had people had been using to deride Rodgers. Like he was legitimately peak Aaron Rodgers form in this one, like the dazzling throws just completely out of his mind. And honestly, like I know Lazard popped in the end zone. I know MBS had the splash play, but to me, the story was Devontae Adams, 17 targets over 40% of Aaron Rodgers throws went to Devontae Adams. Like that was some confirmation bias to me, which, you know, I mean, I, I had Adams coming into this, uh, coming into this, this year as the wide receiver one, this was exactly what you wanted to see, which is like Aaron Rodgers. In Fuego, number one, like just totally feeling it and also just looking at his one guy for most of this game. And look, if Rodgers is going to be that peak form for the entire 16 game season, which I'm not I I still don't know if I totally believe yet, but I do think he's going to have a pretty good year based on what we saw today. Then we are going to definitely start talking about guys like MBS and Alan Lazard and have to have this conversation of are any of these guys, you know, going to be consistent threats over the course of the season? I haven't seen the snap counts yet, but I think that might be um, a pretty big indicator of where this is going uh, in the in the coming weeks. Uh, overall, though, I mean, it was awesome to see Rodgers like at the height of his powers. And if we get if we get that over 16 games like this Packers team is going to be dangerous again and Adams will have big, you know, massive eruption weeks like this as well. And it didn't cost Aaron Jones anything either. I mean, Aaron Jones yeah. still, still, he caught four balls, not for much yardage, but, you know, a half point, half point PPR, that, that's something. And then he also did find the end zone. Uh, yeah, Jamal Williams was used in the red area of the field more than I would have cared to see. But again, it didn't cost Jones anything. So I'm okay with it, especially against a run defense that, you know, obviously is without Linval Joseph, but again, had tried to address some of those holes and aggressively do so. Yeah. And I mean, tied on tied for second on the team in targets was Aaron Jones. So I'm not really worried uh, too much about him going forward. We'll see like if he messes up or something like that, maybe then we could see a bit more of a committee approach, but either way, um, big performance from Rogers was, I think the story in this one. From the Minnesota side of things, Dalvin Cook, and that's about it, man. I mean, Adam Thielen, of course, as well, but, like, it's Cook and Thielen. That's it. All that hype about B.C. Johnson being a training camp standout (laughs) or Justin Jefferson being a super hyped rookie or even, you know, Irv Smith getting a lot of pub over the summer and especially in August. At the end of the day, what we thought, you know, it's like, the keep it simple, stupid theory, like just, yep. just strip it down. And the answer is cook and Thielen walk away. Yep. Cook, Thielen, log out, keep it moving. All right. So let's keep it moving as well to um, a team that I think we would want to fast forward through, through the rest of the year. And that's the jets. And they faced oh, uh, the bills. <laughs> we talked a little bit about Josh Allen and the bills in our halftime show, but let's start on the Jets side just because you know the questions are coming, right? The, I have Le'Veon Bell. Now what? Le'Veon Bell obviously already dealing with, I believe it was a little hamstring tweak, some sort of soft tissue issue, right? You don't want a player at his advanced age with his, with the amount of tread on his tires in an offense that does not stretch the field already dealing with an injury that has a history of lingering. Yeah, there's just... I mean, if you're counting on this, anything from this team at all, I think you're in trouble. You know, Jamison Crowder had a 169-yard run to boost himself over 100 yards for the game. Like, great. I don't want want anything to do. Great. That's what you said, great? I said, nice. 
Yeah, well, of course, obviously. But I mean, yeah, I don't want anything to do with this game. Like, I mean, I don't I mean any I don't want anything to do with this team going forward. Like Lev Bell, if you drafted him, sorry, probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> right. I mean, I don't I don't think I want to spend any more time with the Jets. Like Jamison Crowder remains the the floor option. I had, you know, Casey Kasem actually was tweeting like, my man, Jamison Crowder. All right. And I was like, ladies, some of your my guys need to get up into the penthouse because right now your stable is all living on the ground floor. Like, let's try to yeah. let's try to have a little ceiling with our my guy picks. It was just fun. But on the other side of things, the Buffalo Bills. So Josh Allen's still playing like his hair's on fire. Still, you know, sometimes... He throws the ball like Ryan Mallett, just like with everything in him. It doesn't matter how, there's so little touch. It's just like, can I break this running back's arms or, or hands? Um, but he did run one in, and so his legs remain the cheat codes. And your boy Stefan Diggs led the receiving core in targets. Yeah, I mean, this was the week for for the Bills. Like, I hope that this is a sign of things to come. Because we definitely got both sides of the Josh Allen, you know, Experience. conundrum. Like, yeah, right. Yeah. The, the coaster. We saw the ups and the downs. Like some of those fumbles were just like, what the hell are you doing? He also uh, missed John Brown wide open, like as wide open as you're ever going to get. One of the worst misses you can possibly see when you've got John Brown in the end zone. Uh, it, that part was messy. But at the same time, good overall outing from Josh Allen in fantasy. One of the best quarterbacks on the slate this week. I mean, this is what you want to see from from Josh Allen, making the most of his playmakers, uh, making the most of his rushing ability as well. Really making both of these running backs not, uh, you know, not not easy to decipher. Singletary leads the team in snaps, but again, this was mostly the Josh Allen show. Uh, despite the fact Zach Moss uh, almost got his hands ripped off from one of those touchdown passes, as as you mentioned. But Zach Moss, yeah, Zach Moss does. He's interesting to me because he was such a like a hyped player heading into this season and again similarly divisive he is the team's goal line back in so much as yes, he is not clear. the quarterback right but also he didn't do a lot with his opportunities the matchup against the jets run defense certainly difficult but i'd like to see moss not just i think if you actually watched the game you were like oh that's great that yeah. you got me the points but it was not pretty the way it happened no he wasn't good in this game, but Singletary also wasn't good in this game, which is why right. I think this backfield will remain a mystery until one of these guys sort of establishes themselves, which may never happen. This might just be mostly a Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, John Brown uh, offense, which also might not be so great. <laughs> well, while the while those players weren't good, someone who is very good or a team that is very good. The Baltimore Ravens are better than good. They're, oh my goodness, Lamar Jackson, three touchdowns. Anyone who, by the way, was like, I'm not sure about his accuracy still, or I don't know about his development as a passer, um, they needed to watch this game. I mean, when he hit Willie Sneed, by the way, I was just like, yo, every piece of this offense has fantasy potential. Like, I don't care. I just want to grab any little bit of it, except... For Mark Ingram, who we thought might have the highest floor of everybody. Right. No, I mean, watching this game in particular, it was one of the ones that stood out the most between teams that have their stuff together coming into the COVID season and thing, teams who do not. There was a very stark contrast between the Browns and the Ravens. But yeah, I mean, Lamar said it as much himself, like he's feeling it more this year. He feels more accurate, more in control as a starting quarterback. So that was great. Uh, Marquise Brown was awesome in this game. Five catches on six targets for 101 yards. An awesome throw from Lamar on what looked like a corner route there. And that, this is the thing. Like, this offense is going to continue to get these mismatches. Uh, Mark Andrews was also awesome in this game, too. So, look, if you've got if you've got Ravens, you're feeling it because they're, they're a team that's feeling themselves. And Cleveland on the other side, I mean, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I, I think that you – it's one like I'm, part of me is willing to just sort of wash this away because I was expecting this to be a bad outing for guys like Odell Beckham, for Nick Chubb, uh, for Kareem Hunt, for Baker Mayfield. But Baker looked horrible, and that was that mm. that I, like I wanted him to look a little bit better in this offense. But at the same time, I'm also willing to say, hey, you kind of ran into a buzzsaw here in Week One. 
all, so the matchup is certainly gives the, a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, but low key concerning is that both of the Ravens cornerbacks were less than a hundred percent. And when you have a player yes. with the skill set of OBJ and no theoretical injury, completely fine coming off of that sports hernia surgery. Now I'm worried because I like, there was just, um, like a timing issue where they just didn't look sharp and they at no point did they look sharp. I would say, except in the very, very beginning, and we talked about this on FFL, that the last season when these two teams met, the time that the Browns won, they were able to get Nick Chubb running. And at the very beginning of the game, you saw some of that. And then, guess what? With Calais Campbell and Derek Wolf on the Ravens' defense, the Ravens were like, oh, cool, we got you. We're going to fix this. Yeah. And then... You know, Kareem Hunt remained more efficient in the red area of the field than Nick Chubb. And that's my eye test. I don't know if that's statistically, but it looked that way to me. And so now it's a heap of, um, it's still undiscernible. I want, I need more data before I feel like I can make a full confident take on the Browns. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. I'm willing to give them another few weeks. This is probably the hard. This might be one of the hardest games on their schedule. They have a very easy passing game schedule uh, the rest of the way. I just wish I felt... I wish I felt a little bit more butterflies, even just a little bit, uh, watching Baker Mayfield at, at different points of this this afternoon. Well, I was excited, and I think everybody was, to see Cam Newton start his career as the Patriots' starting quarterback with a design run into the end zone, 4-6. Loved that. Let's, Let's talk about go. these Patriots. Right? I mean, yeah, Cam only threw the ball 19 times. It's very interesting because the approach offensively from one game does not seem that different than what Tom Brady did, right? Like a low passing, yeah. uh, run friendly, lean on the defense approach, except you got a, you have the quarterback who's doing the work of the theoretical backfield now. Yeah, like he was, he was both things for the Patriots. I think it had, it really did seem like both. Josh McDaniels and Cam Newton were energized by each other. I know Cam Newton said as much after the game, said, you know, the communication that they had on the sidelines, the in-game adjustments, they just continued to, to work with each other and make it happen throughout the game. It seems like these two guys, you know, along with what we were saying about Bill Belichick earlier um, in the week two, like these two guys seem to be, everybody seemed to energized by each other's presence. And that's not to say like, they're just great. They're just so happy to be rid of Tom Brady or whatever. But it's a new perspective. It's a new challenge in New England. And, you know, I think it's great. that uh, Now I just want to see, like, next week, is Cam going to bring any of these guys along with him? Because if we're going to start to like Cam, we're probably going to start to like some of these skill position guys, whether it's somebody in the backfield, nobody really emerged there, or whether it's somebody um, in the passing game. Nikhil Harry, uh, really the only reason that, you know, Cam Newton's, like, EPA numbers or success rate numbers won't look so good or whatever is because uh, Nikhil Harry fumbles a a would-be uh, scoring play potentially out of the back of the end zone. So he might be somebody that doesn't necessarily uh, rise up the favorability scales. But yeah, if we're going to like Cam or theoretically going to like somebody from this offense, and that's what I want to see next because Cam looks great. He also looked great as a passer today. The numbers weren't fantastic, but I thought he had great power and touch on his passes as well. Also worth noting that Damian Harris, who is a, a running back that you and I both liked a lot last year, yes. um, was not active in this one. So his he has a hand injury or a, fi a finger injury, I believe. So once he is injected into this offense, it'll be interesting to see if that creates any ripples at all. I do want to talk about the Dolphins really quickly because, I mean, we could talk about Jordan Howard doing the Jordan Howard things, but I'm mostly interested, and I have to rewatch this game for this reason, but Miles Gaskin... He was one yeah. of those under-the-radar players that got some interesting praise um, during training camp from various beat writers. And I think we all sort of dismissed it like, oh, okay, like, what's a, what's a Miles yeah, Gaskin, right? And he great. was hurt. <laughs> right, but he was hurt all last year for the most part, so we don't have any pre-existing recent data, right? But he did lead the backfield in touches with nine attempts, and he also managed four targets, caught all of those four balls. You know, not spectacular, but again, if we're trying to, as fantasy prognosticators, our job is to, as I said earlier, stay ahead of the curve, see what's coming. This is a player now that is on my watch list and I'm intrigued by. I don't know if it'll turn into anything, but I want to have at least a little bit of attention on him. 
I agree. I mean, they paid Jordan Howard all that money to play him on 15% of the snaps. That was strange. Not much Matt Breida in this. <laughs> did he even, did Matt Breida even get in the game? I know I didn't see him. I, I don't think he registered anything. Like, what are, what are we doing here? So, yeah, I mean, it, I agree with you that we should keep an eye on this, uh, on this guy, Miles Gaskin, for sure. All right. Let's talk about Seattle at Atlanta. Russell Wilson. They let Russ cook. cook. They let Russ they cook. They let him go. <laughs> well, take it away. You're excited by it. I mean, also, I will say on my sleepers list, I had Carlos Hyde sneakily in there as basically being like, look, this is cheap, but we know that the we know that the Seahawks love to run the ball. There might just be enough touches for both of these backs. Chris, Chris Carson's obviously the leader. Chris Carson scores his touchdowns through the air, and Carlos Hyde, wouldn't you know, like – is Frank Gore 2.0 shimmies his booty into the end zone. Yeah, amazing. Like, the the most encouraging thing to me coming out of this game from Seattle was their early down play selection. On first and second down, Seattle went 32 passes, 18 runs. That is freaking huge. I mean, that is, this, like, let's repeat. Seattle was a pass-first team, and nobody forced them to do so because – that's the thing. They were they won this game. They controlled it throughout, but they still went with a progressive pass-first approach. And it was huge for Russ. Obviously, completes like 88% of his passes, four touchdowns, also tacks on nearly 30 yards rushing on the ground. And just as expected, his receivers, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf, both balled out. Lockett caught eight passes, cleared 90 yards. Metcalf also cleared 90 yards and found the end zone. And those two guys... of the target share, which was the analysis that was going into this year. Like there's not going to be a ton of passing volume, but these two guys are going to eat up the passing volume. Now there might actually be some passing volume in Seattle, which would just like this offense. Like if you manage to somehow stack Lockett, Metcalf and Russ together, you're, you're feeling it. I never pulled it off in any league. Wish I had. And um, yeah, I mean, I think this, I think it's a huge, this is, sneakily it might not get talked about as much but i think it's sneakily might be the biggest development from week one but atlanta meanwhile matt ryan and friends the receivers put up some numbers and todd Gurley did jump the pile but matt ryan himself i thought looked a little bit gassed a touch slow hayden hurst also by the way like didn't get nearly the action we saw was instead russell gage the (laughs) slot receiver I mean, Julio Jones, 12 targets over 150 yards. Calvin Ridley, 12 targets, 130 yards plus two tubs. Russell Gage, 12 targets over 110 yards. Like, maybe we have the answer now. Maybe Russell Gage is what was quietly being whispered he could be. And when he took that that tumble, you know, he looked like he tweaked his neck. He fell on his head and kind of sideways, got back up. And and I'm thinking, like— Maybe that's maybe he's a pickup option because this Steve this we know that we know that the Atlanta Falcons are going to throw the ball a bunch. We know that they're probably going to have yeah. to. And they weren't able to pace with the with the Seahawks. Yeah, whereas Seattle looked like a very different team than I expected even if they were the team that I hoped. Atlanta was the team I knew that they would be without a shadow of a doubt. Their defense mm. still stinks. Uh they're going to throw the ball a lot. You know, Gage sort of was what I thought Hayden Hurst might be as the third receiver, but That's definitely right. productive. But at the same time, like Ridley was awesome. Julio was awesome. Matt Ryan might not have looked great, but he put up plenty of numbers. I think that's what this team is going to be all year. And and we talked about this on FFL halftime too. You know, Todd Gurley definitely popped in that touchdown. Um, just Just how long can you count on this version of Todd Gurley? I think if you have him on your team – that's always going to be in the back of your mind. So, yeah, whereas Seattle sort of took me by surprise, Atlanta was like, yeah, you, I, I know what you are. You've, I've seen you before. I, I, I'm, aw- I'm aware of your <laughs> shtick. What about the Carolina Panthers shtick? Because I don't think it was as bad offensively as maybe many people assumed. Or because of your closeness to the team, were you prepared to see a hint at the ceiling that it might have? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I think this offense is going to be pretty fun all year because, number one, the defense the defense was what I expected it to be. You know, they were yeah. not very good. Josh Jacobs put up a big game against them. Um, Derek Carr also kind of quietly. I mean, he had eight yards per attempt for Derek Carr. That's like <laughs> that's like slinging it downfield. You know, he, he had a pretty decent game against them, too. So I think we're going to see that pretty steadily, pretty consistently throughout the the entire year and you know for the Panthers offense they're then going to be put in advantageous situations you know Teddy Bridgewater threw a deep bomb to Robbie Anderson that's yeah. that was nice to see that's not really what we expect from Teddy Bridgewater like I think uh you know McCaffrey all systems go nothing to really worry about there so in general yeah I mean I think this offense is going to going to have its moments for sure because the defense is going to force it into it and it's not as if it's not as if this isn't an untalented group. Anderson's a good receiver. Uh, DJ Moore is a good receiver if you'd have a big game today. Um, obviously, they have McCaffrey. They have Curtis Samuel. Like There's there's talent on this offense, and Bridgewater's a fine point guard for it. I Also, watching Bridgewater out there running and sliding was really gratifying to see. I mean, there was a moment, I think, about the midway point that I saw him running, and in my brain, which is used to seeing Cam, I was like, God, Cam looks real skinny. What happened to him? And then, I, you know, I had to like snap out of it. It was just a, a quick thought. I also want to say when we were looking at this receiving core, I think a lot of people were like, well, Robbie Anderson, like not a lot of volume. If he catches, it'll be in the end zone. Skinny, you know, end zone receiver. We know what he is. But I think we might have misjudged or underestimated the rapport that he has with Matt Rule, especially because Rule was his coach in college at Temple, Temple yep. and Rule knows how to effectively use him. And also when you get out of Adam Gase's offense, my goodness, stuff gets unlocked. Amber Anderson converted six of eight for 115 and a touch. And he is pretty available in Yahoo League. So, I mean, he's another... There are a million of these receivers, right, that can like potentially yeah. be a flex or a number three. But I do think that on this offense, because of the points you mentioned about their defense, the idea that there might be some catch up to be played, this works well for Robbie Anderson, who we already know has a solid end zone profile. Raiders really quickly. Josh Jacobs is a beast. And sometimes people are allowed to do things they hadn't done the year before because growth is real and so is opportunity. And Josh Jacobs took his and is freaking evolving. And I don't want to hear any more smack about it. I'm with you. All right. <laughs> that was easy. <laughs> Let's move along. Let's talk about uh, Carson Wentz, who was not with it. Definitely Miss Lane Johnson got laid out eight times for a loss of 62 yards. Wentz looked I mean, the Eagles, my goodness, and what a city to, like, open the season not looking great at. And all of the Eagles fans in my timeline were real salty for good reason. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this this looked like a November 2019, December 2019 Eagles, like, box score. You know, Carson Wentz under seven yards per attempt. Greg Ward, Zach Ertz, and Dallas Goddard have about 50% of the team targets. Uh, th great. They got some splash plays from Deshaun uh, Jackson. They got a splash play from Jalen Rager. Not nearly enough. Not nearly enough mm -hmm. of what they need to be a consistent uh to be a consistent downfield offense. So that my worry is that until we see the offensive line get its act together, which is mainly at this point, Lane Johnson get back. Cause like Brandon yep. Brooks is out for the year. Andre Dillard is out for the year. 38 year old Jason Peters is now going to have to go back to playing left tackle. You have to try to get ready to play at guard. This offensive line right. could be an issue. They, this could be an issue all the way through 2020. And that's problematic because they got the skill position guys now potentially on the outside in Rager and Jackson. But if the offensive line can't pass protect, then it's just going to be more of Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz and Greg Ward, which is what the Eagles were kind of, they're fine with like, those guys are good, especially the two tight ends, but they were trying to get some more downfield involvement in their offense. And now I, I worry after this showing and it's worth saying, like, Washington has a very, very good defensive front with a lot of talented first-round picks, especially Chase Young, who was awesome today. But unproven. It was an unproven line, and they proved themselves in an opener on yes. an abbreviated offseason. Right. So, I mean, it's worth saying that they have good players over there, but at the same time, not a good showing uh, for the Eagles offensive line. Lane Johnson can't get back soon enough. That That is definitely my my first and main takeaway from this team. 
I love that you mentioned Jason Peters moving again from, you know, having to move back to tackle from trying to play guard because the other piece of that is that this backfield can't stay healthy and holes aren't being opened up for them. Miles Sanders went out with a hamstring injury or was out with a hamstring injury. Boston Scott leaves midway through the game. And now you just got tight ends, right? You you got Zach Ertz who wants to get paid. And then it's almost like uh, the... It's almost like the front office was like, oh, Goddard, we can't afford Ertz. There's enough other issues going on right now. <laughs> I mean, hey, I'm with that. I'm with that like sort of conspiracy theory. But uh, I mean, we'll see. I, I think I think that Goddard's a really good tight end. You know, like I, I think it makes sense yeah. that these two guys can create matchup uh, problems together. They just need a more consistent downfield uh, presence. And that might not happen if they don't get their act together as pass protection unit. Meanwhile, the Washington football team defensively surprised, but I think offensively showed more fight than we have seen in them in a long, long time. Dwayne Haskins, you know, taking a real leadership role. I still don't think he's it. You are higher on him. I know your dad is too, but <laughs> I, I did, I did see some, some nice, um, settling from him, I suppose. A, a yeah. nice level of maturity getting through his reads with, Let's be honest, a receiving core that is far from experienced, far from proven. We got Logan Thomas out there uh, scoring touchdowns. Uh, meanwhile, we know that Terry McLaurin's going to do all of the work. He didn't have like that great of a showing, but instead, with Riverboat Ron as the team's new head coach, you have to imagine there's going to be an emphasis on the run. Peyton Barber, the early down rusher, Got two tubs, but I was still impressed with Antonio Gibson. And any of that talk about J.D. McKissick being at the top of the depth chart was quieted today. Yeah, McKissick played the most snaps, but who cares? Because uh, he's just right. not going to really do anything with those snaps. Yeah. Uh, by the way, that's Logan Thomas, the pride of Lynchburg, Virginia. Right. Logan Thomas. Thank you very <laughs> Converted much. Converted quarterback. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, I think that that was a pretty good development for Washington. They need somebody to come up along with Terry McLaurin, who did turn in sort of a floor performance. But I, I think I yeah, I wouldn't be panicking if I have Antonio Gibson for pretty much the reasons that you just mentioned. Uh, he looked good out there and got some red zone work himself. Uh, Peyton Barber just happened to be the guy who popped it in there. Right. I want to move along to the Bears-Lions matchup. And I want to, I want to start with this. I tweeted this. And I am completely guilty of bagging on Mitch Trubisky. Do it all the time. Did it at the top of this game. But I will say the one thing that do I it again. continually... Uh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> the thing he is not is consistent. And as inconsistent as he is, he is equally not shook. Like that is... what I know that sounds... A little bit weird, but the fact that he saw Nick Foles come in, get paid, is still the starter. There's a lot of reasons why. That's fine. Also, open completely flat over, like not hitting Jimmy Graham, um, not hitting his receivers, like lobbing it ten yards past Anthony Miller near the end zone, and then didn't he didn't Chris Cousins he didn't Kirk Cousins it right? He didn't melt down. He didn't completely lose his s. He stayed focused, and he was certainly helped by the Detroit Lions defense, which. Uh, the lack of discipline from a guy who comes from the Belichickian coaching tree continues to boggle my mind. Regardless, he did maintain a comeback effort that deserves some sort of applause. It does not mean I'm wearing a Bears hat tonight, but it does mean that we have to give credit where credit is due. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, that uh, touchdown throw to Anthony Miller to win the game was awesome. Like that was that was a legit great throw. Uh, good for him. Good for the Bears. Uh, the interesting thing in in Detroit was the backfield where Peterson leads the oh. show. Fourteen carries, ninety three yards. But if you're a DeAndre Swift backer, I think the thing that you can um, that you can kind of hang your hat on there is he plays the most snaps. Also got trusted in key situations down near the goal line and in the passing game. Of course, he whiffs his big passing game chance, drops what would have been the game winner from Matthew Stafford as sort of a fourth quarter comeback there. But, you know, provided that that doesn't totally yank the the floor out from under him from a trust perspective, if you're I'm and I don't I don't have DeAndre Swift on any team, so I'm not trying to like comfort myself here, but I think that you can give some silver lining here to this guy. Interestingly, Matt, one of the matchups that so many of us were so excited to watch this Sunday turned out to be kind of a dud. Suh news fest. Give me a break. I mean, and, and I thought too, like, 
Yeah, we really would have been juiced up for a matchup between two highly thoughtful, you know, read the defense pocket quarterbacks like five years ago. But I don't know, just when you've got Lamar Jackson doing his thing, Josh Allen doing whatever the hell he's doing up in Buffalo and like all of these young Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, like you've got all these young, exciting, mobile um, quarterbacks sort of playing this new age football. It's like. I don't really, I don't really care about two forty-plus-year-old quarterbacks going nah, head to man. head, and in and, and who's going to throw the most floaters? There's so many comparisons. Like this whole matchup, this whole effort was very okay, Boomer. Also, it reminded <laughs> me of like the Star Wars truthers who love old Yoda, but like that was never my scene. But the Mandalorian is lit AF and baby Yoda is where it's at. Like, I just felt like there was a whole changing of the guard. And this, what you're saying represented just a different era of football that isn't as exciting anymore. And also, if you are going to be that, then get Rob Gronkowski involved. And also the fact that the Tom Brady grace extends from New England now to Tampa Bay via Mike Evans. I'm so sick of it. Like, Marshawn Lattimore made this matchup so much more exciting than anybody else. Oh, except for Janoris Jenkins, because the Jackrabbit had Brady's number. Yeah, I mean, I thought that there were times when the Brady-led offense looked pretty good, and there were times where it was, like I said, a total snooze fest. So, and I think I think that's kind of how it's going to be with this team. Like, I think that there's going to be they're still they're still making adjustments. They're still kind of figuring each other out, and I just don't sure. know how long that's going to take. And you know, we'll see. Like, there were some throws that Brady made that were great. There were others that were terrible. And you know, I think that's sort of the mixed bag we can expect from this team right now. And uh, you know, the Saints, I thought they like uh, Michael Thomas had a poor game. Um, Camaro was awesome. Uh, that's one thing to watch is Thomas apparently got banged up when Camara landed oh, on him later in the game. We'll we'll see what happens out of that. But yeah, neither of these offenses looked incredibly uh, exciting to me. I do think though it's worth saying for the for the Bucks offense. One caveat to to make is that. This Saints defense is legit good. Like you mentioned, Marshawn Lattimore, they're good mm-hmm. up front. They've added pieces there, too. This is a really, really talented secondary and really talented uh, pass rushing group. It, that could just be the reason that the Bucks got off to a slow start here. Are you going to take this opportunity to replant your flag in Rojo Island? No. All right. I mean, <laughs> can we... Can we just, I mean, I don't blame you, Lord knows. No, um, no. Can we just, also, all of the Leonard Fournette talk about how he was immediately going to leapfrog Ronald Jones. Bro Bro had five carries in this one and one target, which he managed to catch, but like six total touches. So let's let's quiet down a minute. Also, yeah, you're right, I'm, I'm, Cam Jordan, Cam Jordan trucked him. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, right. I'm I'm, I'm uh, gonna be I'm gonna be out on making uh, declarative statements uh, for this backfield, even though I mean Jones ran well and was treated like the feature back, but we'll see how long that lasts. And I'm just not, I'm for the for the places that I have Ronald Jones, which is unfortunately all too many. I'll keep playing him until uh, the the boards fall out from under me. But uh, you know I'm not I'm not doing it with any sort of confidence. Arizona at San Francisco, some interesting wrinkles in this game, but again, more confirmation bias that, oh, Jimmy Garoppolo really struggles once he can't, like, after his first read, it all sort of falls apart. He didn't have many weapons, but he also didn't look good. Yep, I don't think he looked good, and also, like, there were times where Murray didn't look great either, but finished really strong, and... Look, for anyone, and I, I I was out on DeAndre Hopkins this week, so I'm not taking a victory lap here for, for this week, obviously, um, because I, I had him as a guy who's going to be off his game because he you know didn't have a lot of practice time coming into this contest. Um, but I also wasn't somebody that's like – I wasn't concerned about him over the course of the season. Um, and one of the reasons is I, I reposted this this quote again. You know, I sat down and talked with Hop, talked with Hopkins in January, which feels like a, a bajillion years ago at this point. <laughs> but you know, we kind of went into detail about how he prepares on the fly for you know playing with guys and being productive with guys like T.J. Yates and Brock Osweiler and Taylor Heineke and all and Ryan Mountain, all these randos that have run run through Houston. 
he's really works hard and is dedicated throughout that. So it's not in that vein. It's not surprising that he comes out and absolutely dominates the target share in Arizona. 16 targets from Kyler Murray. No one else has more than five. He has a career high 14 catches. That's more, by the way, more than all of the other Texans receivers combined from Thursday night. Yikes, just one more twist of the dagger for our guy, Bill O'Brien. Uh, yeah, I, I think that Hopkins, like, we're in the clear now at this point. Murray was also awesome. Uh, he would have had over 100. Like, if you play, uh, if you play Daily Fantasy for a, a site that gives you a 100-yard bonus rushing, I, I don't know where one of those might be. But if you did theoretically play for a site like that, uh, and, and then you see Kyler Murray take two like five yard long kneel downs, you got to be totally tilted that he goes from over 100 rushing yards to 91. But still, big big performance from Murray and Hopkins, and you love to see it. Love that analysis from the Arizona side of things. The only thing I want to touch on additionally from the San Francisco side of things was the backfield because I feel like. You know, obviously, one of the talking points among the broad- broadcasters was how much more involved Jarek McKinnon was. And that was something heading into the season. We knew Mostert, especially after his uh, contract was tweaked and he was paid, he would be the RB1, carried the ball 15 times, had some nice extended runs, particularly explosive through the air, so as advertised. But there were questions as to whether Tevin Coleman or Jarek McKinnon would be the RB2 or if they would kind of cannibalize each other and neither be worthwhile. I just want to point out that Tevin Coleman does have a sickle cell issue and the air quality that is in California right now, um, very much. No, it's not great for anybody, particularly someone who has a sensitivity. And so I think that might have also been, we will see, but that could have been part of the reason Coleman wasn't nearly as mixed in. I don't want everyone to just jump and assume that the number two job is McKinnon's now. Yep. I mean, I think we'll see. I, I know I know uh, Mostert had a huge reception in this game. We'll see. I, I don't feel necessarily completely comforted uh, by by that. You know, I think that this all these backs are going to be involved throughout the rest of the year. All right. Let's close things out with <clears throat> one of the teams we opened with, the Chargers. You mentioned their... I don't know. They're they're what you want. They're they're foil to victory. They're unexpected victory. They're winning through upside down means. Um, but they did win. Most impressively, though, I, I think most people were watching Joe Burrow when he when he got that block and ran in a touchdown. I think that even though the Bengals did, and also when he was so focused and mature looking like a 2024 version of himself down the stretch you know the kicker lost it for him this was not the play of the quarterback which is something by the way that Bengals fans who have watched Andy Dalton fritter away many potential victories have not been able to say um he looks like the real deal also AJ Green so many near touchdowns this Mm -hmm. one was a skin of your by the skin of your teeth loss yeah, no, I think you can come out of this game like you might look at his passing stats and, you know, be kind of grossed out or whatever. But um, I think you come out of this game really encouraged by what you saw from from Joe Burrow for all of the reasons that you just mentioned. Um, and on the Chargers side, kind of like, I mean, 19 carries for Austin Eckler, only one target, like the exact stone <sighs> worst thing that, that if you're an Eckler backer like I am, th- exactly what you didn't want to see. Yeah. Keenan Allen also not really involved too much, didn't get a ton of downfield work. Mike Williams the doing hurt, his The doing injured his receiver is the yeah, one who got the most yeah. pop. Yeah. That's wild. Um, little concern. Like, I'm definitely a little concerned about my analysis on this Chargers offense after one game. Uh, Tyrod Taylor also didn't look great. Um, but I'm willing to give that one another week uh, to see if I was dead wrong on that one or not. But, I mean, at least Eckler did get a ton of carries. Um, but I would have definitely liked to see more passing game work. That was really concerning. Also, the fact that he not only didn't see the passing game work, but also wasn't used in the red zone. And the in fact, line, yep. it was the rookie, Kelly, who was uh, who had earned himself a larger role, kid out of UCLA, uh, because 
Justin Jackson was out for this one. So Joshua Kelly, the rookie, saw um, a larger role. He, by the way, is rostered in just 12%. Joshua Kelly is of Yahoo Leagues. He's someone I might consider adding, especially if I had Marlon Mack and am looking to add some depth at the running back position. Because if he is going to get those goal line looks and he is going to get the work near the red area of the field, in the red area of the field, then I am now interested in him. Anthony Lynn said after the game, he thinks they would not have won had they not had Josh Kelly. Uh, so I think that's pretty good news for the rookie back. All right. Keep an eye on him really quickly. Monday night, Pittsburgh at New York Giants. One thing you're looking for. One thing I'm looking for, I want to see uh, what Ben Roethlisberger looks like. I mean, Pretty pure and simple. I'm high on Ben Roethlisberger this week. I'm high on the Steelers passing game this week. And over the course of the season, uh, we know that they throw the ball at a top five rate, even when they're ahead by three plus points when Ben Roethlisberger is on the field. I want to see if that holds up in his first game back. Agree. I also want to see how involved James Washington is and if uh, Ben Roethlisberger is willing to throw it deep because Washington, I think, is a player that we have overlooked uh, throughout the summer and off season. And I think he might, especially in this matchup, provide some, sp- some splash plays. Uh, lastly, Tennessee at Denver, the Jarrell Casey revenge game, Cortland Sutton officially out for this one. I think we're all just really expecting um, Derek Henry to roll. And outside of that, like Jerry Judy, we talked about a lot on FFL because he is such a crisp and polished route runner, but I don't know. Is there anyone else that you're particularly intrigued by? Uh, Johnny Smith, I think if you, for whatever reason, are still in need of a tight end, if you already haven't started this guy, which is probably unlikely at this point, um, I've, I have my eye on him for sure because I think this passing game could have a pretty good uh, line against Denver, especially with Von Miller out. And I like A.J. Brown's matchup a lot too. So I also, I definitely have my eye on it. Uh, Johnny Smith as a guy that I think is going to break out this year anyways. Matt, what are you working on this week? I know you have to file an article this evening. Anything for Monday or Tuesday? Tuesday, back on the podcast. But yeah, I guess just filing my care, don't care recap uh, article for for tonight. Five things I care about, five things I don't care about. A lot of the things we touched on in the pod today will be in there uh, just with a, you know, a little bit more detail. I'm on Mad Bets this week, so be sure to check that out. You can follow all of our stuff at Yahoo Sports and at Yahoo Fantasy. Also, we have podcasts. Lord, do we have podcasts. You should check out the (laughs) Yahoo Sports NFL podcast with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler and the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and Pat Forty. I am at Liz Loza underscore FF. That is at Matt Harmon underscore BYB. One more thank you to Planters. Andy and Scott will be back tomorrow morning to talk pickups. Until then, we're out. It's no secret that our world has been interrupted. A World Interrupted is a daily podcast telling stories of coronavirus, and its impact on the economy. We want to cover the issues in the macro, global economics, the stock market, and our political climate. We'll also cover the micro stories, maybe the ones you don't hear as much about in the news or the media. We hope you'll listen and be a part of the journey. So subscribe today on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.